0: guys, and welcome to Murdered and Missing. I'm your host, Nicole, and this is the story of the Yuba County Five. On Friday, February 24th, 1978, five young men would travel to California State University at Chico in a 1969 Mercury Montego belonging to Jack Madruga, 30, to watch a basketball game. Traveling with Jack was Jack Hewitt, 24, Gary Mathias, 25, Bill Sterling, 29, and Ted Weir, 32. These five men were often referred to lovingly by their families as boys. They all had varying intellectual disabilities and psychiatric issues. They lived at home with family members, and those family members were expecting those men to come back home that evening since they all had a basketball game on their own the next day. The game the boys were attending had ended around 10 p.m. that Friday. And after leaving the university, they had decided to stop at a convenience store for some snacks for their hour-long drive back home. They checked out, they left the store, climbed back into Jack's car, and they would begin to drive home. This would be the last confirmed sighting of all five men alive and together. To get home, the men would need to travel south out of Chico so that they could head towards their homes in Marysville and Yuba City. I'm going to go ahead and post a map on my Instagram so you guys can see what direction the men needed to drive to get home, where they would end up in spoiler alert, where their bodies would eventually be found. Now, instead of traveling south out of Chico to get back home like they were supposed to, the men somehow traveled 70 miles east, ending up on a deserted mountain road where in the early morning hours of February 25th, now this is that Saturday, Um, Joe Shones is going to eventually stumble upon their abandoned vehicle. Unfortunately, Joe had found himself stuck on that same mountain after having a bit of car trouble himself. He attempted to push his vehicle out of the snow after having gotten stuck and ended up having a mild heart attack. So to protect himself from the elements, Joe decided to get back into his vehicle. And while he was in there, he would eventually see some headlights and hear voices. And he ends up seeing a group of men who police kind of speculate that it's potentially the Yuba County Five, but we're not sure. And with this group of men is a woman carrying a baby. Random, I know. So Joe tries to flag down these people, you know, for help. However, this group ignores him and they keep walking. So Joe gets back into his car where he sits and some time later, he sees what he thinks is flashlights kind of shining around in the trees um, just outside of his car. So again, he's going to get out and he's going to call for help. And again, he's ignored. So finally, after a few hours of sitting in his car and just not feeling well, uh, his car runs out of gas. So at this point, he decides that he's going to walk to go get some help because he can't just sit there. So it's during this walk to go get help that Joe is going to stumble upon the Mercury Montego. However, at this time, Joe does not know that it belongs to this this group of missing men. And it's not gonna be until he sees a news report while he's in the hospital that he's gonna connect these dots. He's gonna come forward with the information about the group and the car on the mountain, and he's gonna let police know where he's seen this car. Police had already been notified of the missing men since Saturday, February 25th. So their family members had become increasingly worried when, you know, the men had not come home and they were phoning each other and they were contacting each other. Finally, by 8 p.m. Saturday night, one of their parents is going to contact the police. And on February 28th, which is that following Tuesday, that's when we're going to see investigators make their way up the mountain. So after they get the missing persons report, and after they get this information from Joe, and Joe tells them where he's seen the vehicle, that's when they're going to go up to this mountain. So when they make their way up there, they're going to discover the Mercury Montego in the same location that Joe had last saw it. So the police arrive on scene and they're unable to locate the the keys in the car. So they hotwired it and the car started right up. So they were able to roll out any engine trouble as to why the men had stopped there. And as the car's on and they're, you know, they're looking it over, they realize that there's enough gas in the tank that they should have been able to make it back home with no issues. And they also notice that the car is stuck in snow, but it's not stuck in the snow in a way that these five grown men would not be able to get the car unstuck. If you've never driven in snow, it's, it's kind of hard to explain. So if you've never driven in snow, you wouldn't understand what I mean by it's stuck, but it's not stuck. So sometimes when you're driving in the snow, your car tires are not going to grip onto the ground because you know you've got that loss of traction there. But it's not like they had hit this big snowbank. So investigators couldn't figure out why they were unable to get the car on stop. They weren't able to find any footprints. Um, you know, In the back of the car like they had tried to push it out or in front of the car like they had tried to push it out there's no handprints on the car there's there's nothing all we know is that they lose traction they get stuck and then they abandon the car and on this road there's there's potholes and there's trees and there's brush and You know, damage had been done to the police and Forest Service vehicles on their way up the mountain. But when they investigated the car, they noticed that there's no scratches on the outside. The undercarriage of the car is in good condition, which further confused investigators. It was dark. It was after 10 p.m. that they had made their way up this mountain. So there is no way that these these men were able to make it up this mountain without a spot of damage on their vehicle unless they knew the area. So as far as investigators could tell, and according to the men's families, none of the men knew this area. So there's no way that Ted or Jack Billy or the other Jack or Gary could have navigated up this mountain road and not gotten any damage on the car whatsoever. So a theory begins to to circulate that maybe somebody else was driving the car. But Jack's parents would go on to tell police. Now, this is Jack. Um, Madruga, the, the owner of the vehicle, his parents would go on to tell police that he didn't know the area, he was not a fan of the cold, and there is no way whatsoever that he would have allowed anybody to drive his vehicle. So if Jack wasn't driving the car, who was? Well, that's the answer that police hoped, or that's, excuse me, that's the question that police hoped to answer. So they begin organizing search parties in an attempt to locate the missing men. However, that would not be an easy task as the terrain was rocky at best. Like I said before, police and forest service vehicles had suffered damage to their vehicles, trying to get up the mountainside. So they enlisted the help of helicopters to survey the area from above they had officers on horseback. They had Forest Service employees who knew this area like the back of their hands. They had searchers on ATVs. They had men running dogs. They had people on foot. They had so many people attempting to search this mountainside, trying to find the men. The families of the missing men even raised $26,000, you know, and they put this towards a reward for any information. And they would wait by their phones with bated breath. And they heard nothing. Searchers found nothing. And nothing that anybody would come forward and tell them would seem to make any sense. Police would end up searching this area nonstop for about five to 10 days. Some sources say five, I've seen upwards of 10. So we're going to go with five to 10 days. Um, and a huge winter storm ends up hitting the area and it dumps nine inches of snow. And in the process of dumping this nine inches of snow, we would see snow drifts 10, 15 feet tall. So this snow puts a huge damper on the search. And this new layer of snow that has fallen is now going to cover any tracks that could be left behind by any of the men. Any evidence is going to be buried under these snow drifts. So by the 10-day mark, police are going to call it quits. They know that there is no way that the men had survived in these conditions in the forest they know that they are not dressed they know that there is no food on them because when they found the car initially all that food they had purchased at the convenience store had been eaten and they know that because all of the wrappers were all over the front and back seat so initially police did not think that there was any foul play involved whatsoever however their opinions are going to start to shift and we're going to start to see a change in the investigation and the questions what happened and where did the men go are going to be the biggest questions that plague us and that plagued investigators but we're not going to see answers to those questions until early June when the spring thaw would come around. So on a Sunday morning, there was a group of motorcyclists who were out riding the, um, the mountain roads and they stumbled upon this deserted trailer camp, which had belonged to the forest service at one point. So they decide that they're going to explore this camp. And all of a sudden they were struck, by a horrible smell. And if you have ever smelled dead body, you're going to know what kind of smell I'm talking about. And that smell, unfortunately, was coming from one of the missing men, Ted. Ted was found stretched out on a bed that was located inside of the main trailer. And it had been apparent that he had frozen to death. It did appear, however, that Ted tried to wrap himself in eight sheets and he pulled them over himself. He wrapped them around his head and you could tell that he was trying to keep himself warm. He was found fully clothed with the exception of the shoes. Those were missing. And because the shoes were missing, his feet were so severely frostbitten. He was missing toes. He had gangrene on his legs. It was an all-around bad situation. There was a table that was located next to the bed that Ted was laying on. And that's where police would find a ring with his name engraved on it. They would find his gold necklace, a wallet with some cash still inside, and a gold watch. Now, police would take these effects back to the families, and Ted's family would claim the ring, the necklace, and the wallet. But they would say that the watch was not theirs, and all of the other families would go on to confirm that the watch did not belong to any of their kids. So, we now have... Ted who's deceased under questionable circumstances. We've got a watch that doesn't belong to any of the missing men. And it's been about three months since they were last seen. And before Ted went missing, he was described as five foot 11 and weighing 200 pounds. However, when he was found, he had lost roughly 100 to 120 pounds, which indicated that he'd been alive for some time and there was also some other evidence to support this theory he had this beard that had grown onto his face and the beard had grown so much that it led authorities to believe that he lived roughly for about 8 to 13 weeks inside of that trailer slowly starving to death now how ted ends up In this trailer, 19.4 miles away from his car, having trekked through four to six foot snow drifts in the dark is unknown. Nobody knows how he made it there. Roughly five miles away from where authorities would find Ted's body, they'll find the bodies of Bill Sterling and Jack Madruga. On Jack's body, police are going to find the keys to the car. And it appears that Jack and Bill had attempted to reach the trailer where Ted was found. So Bill and Jack Madruga were found five miles away from Ted before reaching the trailer. And so they think, um, authorities think that they were all heading in this direction, but that Jack and Bill, their bodies just gave up. They were not able to make it to this trailer and their cause of death will be listed as exposure. Now Jack Hutt's skeletonized remains, sorry, that's a really difficult word, would be found a few days later. And unfortunately they would be found by his father. Gary Mathias is going to be the only one who is never found. There's going to be evidence that, authorities find that Gary had been in the trailer with Ted at one point. Gary had left behind the tennis shoes that he had been wearing that night and it it seems as if he took Ted's shoes. Now Ted's shoes were made of leather. So authorities believe that Gary had taken Ted's shoes because his feet may have swollen due to frostbite and Ted's shoes may have fit better in this situation or Gary may have thought that Ted's shoes would keep his feet warm. We don't really know. This is all speculation. And Yuba County Under Sheriff Jack Beecham would go on to tell reporters that this case was, and I quote, bizarre as hell. And this case would remain one of the most puzzling and baffling cases that family and police are going to be questioning, you know, 44 years later and when ted was found he was found in this trailer he was found emaciated with his cause of death being listed as starvation and exposure to the elements now in this trailer there was plenty of canned and dried food that had all five men made it to the trailer they would have been able to be kept alive for months we know that gary and ted were in this trailer at least for some point, point. and we know that Gary or Ted had broken a window to get into this trailer. What we don't know is why they didn't attempt to cover that window, why they didn't turn on the propane tank that was located in the shed, which would have heated the entire trailer, We don't know why they didn't use the matches and the paperback books that could have been used as kindling. Those remained all untouched. And we don't know why neither one of these men who we know were in the trailer didn't utilize these resources. And some sources will say that it's because they're intellectual disabilities, but we don't really have any proof of that. What we do have is the persistent question of why. Why did the men turn east? Why did they abandon their car? Why did they not try to free the car? And why did the men not turn on the propane tank? And if Gary did go for help, where did Gary's body go? These are some of the questions that we don't have answers to. All that I have for you now is theories. And one of these theories is that the men headed east to Forbestown. And supposedly Gary had some friends over in Forbestown. But those friends spoke with police and they confirmed that they had no plans to meet Gary. So they don't know why they would head towards Forbestown. So Forbestown is located in between Chico and the Mountain Road, which could explain why they went east instead of south. And they also think that maybe Jack had missed the turnoff, caused them to become lost, and you know as they continue to drive deeper into the woods, they end up getting stuck. But that theory doesn't really have any weight since after speaking with the friends, they said, no, we we had no plans of meeting up with Gary. So they kind of scratched that. Melba Medruga, which is Jack's mom, would go on to interview with the Washington Post. And she told them that she believed some force had led the boys astray. Her statement was that... Um, She knew good and well that someone made the boys do this. She firmly believed that her son Jack would not drive his vehicle into an area that could potentially damage it. Like I said earlier, Jack loved this car. Nobody is driving this car but Jack. And Ted's sister-in-law theorized that while the men were at that basketball game up in Chico, they saw something that maybe they weren't supposed to see. And she thinks that maybe somebody had followed them and forced them to go east and forced them on this mountain road and just kept pushing them deeper and deeper into the woods um you know because why wouldn't you turn around if you were lost if there wasn't something behind you causing you to go forward that was her line of thinking and for months after they found the the other four men on. Police would theorize and search and look for any sign of Gary. So this next theory is going to suggest that maybe Gary, who did serve for a brief period of time in the U.S. Army, um, that he had a psychotic break. And like I said earlier, some of them had some psychiatric issues. And one of those issues is schizophrenia. Gary had ended up becoming discharged from the army due to a diagnosis of schizophrenia. And the theory was that he had a psychotic break and forced his friends up this mountain and he killed his friends. And an article that was written by Mental Floss, which I had used as one of my sources for today's episode, um, suggests that there are some supporters for this theory. These supporters kind of believe that Gary ended up returning home after killing his friends and his family has been hiding him for the last 44 years. Now, this final theory that I have for you guys today does revolve around Gary again. And this theory is that Gary did not kill his friends, did not cause them to go up there, but did go to that trailer and ended up with Ted in that trailer and saw that Ted was in a bad state. So he left to go get help and he too would succumb to the elements and pass away. And it's theorized that Gary's body has never been found because he is deep in the forests, thick underbrush. And I really hope that one day, you know, they're able to find Gary. They're able to get answers because it has been 44 years since Gary had, has been last seen. And whatever way you look at this case, whether you believe somebody forced these men into the woods that night or you believe that they went up there on their own, I hope you believe that one day the the families will get some answers. Um, But as of right now, the case is as cold as the night in February 1978 when they went missing. That, my friends, is the story of the Yuba County Five. I hope you keep listening. I hope you give me a rating and review wherever you're listening to me right now. And until next time, stay spooky and be a good human.